Y'all can just pinch me right now. I had the honor and the privilege to interview one of the most legendary coaches in the game of softball, Coach Sue Inquist. She has won multiple national titles. She is a Hall of Fame coach in so many regards. And her best friend was John Wooden. And today on the conversation of part one of this two-part interview, you're going to learn her relationship with John Wooden and his pillars of success and how they made her a great coach. We're going to learn how you can be a great game day parent and beyond, and why she believes softball is leading in sports decline and how we as parents and coaches can do something about it. This was one of my favorite interviews of all time. I'm so excited for you to meet this part one of a two-part series, Coach Sue Inquist. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are gonna be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive and that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Welcome to another episode of the When the Cleats Come Off podcast. I have a very special guest today. This was one of my dream guests that I said, as soon as I started this podcast, this woman, this goat in the game of softball needs to be present on this podcast. If you guys can guess who she is, I'm going to give her a little little intro before I say her name. She won UCLA's first national title as an athlete in 1978. She was UCLA's first All-American. She coached as an assistant after she played from 1980 to 1988 and was the head coach from 97 to 2006. She has 11 national titles underneath her name. She's been inducted to six Hall of Fames, including UCLA, USA Softball, and NFCA. I have the honor and the privilege of introducing to you guys Coach Sue Inquist. Thanks, Sue, so much for being on the show today. Ashley, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Man, you know, I didn't think we were going to talk about surfing, but the fact that you surf every single day to start your day, how does that just help you have the best day ever or start your day off on a good note? I think I have to ask. It's just, uh, well, first of all, listeners, let me just throw Ashley under the bus. She told me that we were going to have a podcast and now she wants to see me on video. So to the listeners, super duper happy that this is just a podcast where you hear my voice because I have got the total tumbleweed just out of the water hairdo. And I opened up my camera window just so Ashley and I can lock eyes. But people, (laughs) that's who we're dealing with, with Ashley. So back to surfing. It is the total release, right? It's the different communities. Surfing is very unique in that all the different parts of society come together because the men and the women in the water just have a love for being a surfer. And you don't get caught up in, well, to my right is a vice president of a Fortune 100 company and the person to my left is a garbage collector, right? It's just, we all love the ocean and it's such a physical workout emotionally and mentally. It's such a leveler for me. So I've, I've been doing that longer than I've been playing softball and it really is a passion of mine. So even though I love softball and am so passionate about the game, my breathing tube is surfing. <laughs> That's so awesome. So you grew up just surfing from basically day one? Yeah. So San Clemente is like a little beach town south of uh, South Orange County. And, you know, you first start off just being a swimmer and you grow up as a junior lifeguard, right? That's the world. It's like, you know, most communities like, oh, you go to Park and Rec and in San Clemente, you like go to junior lifeguard. And that's (laughs) where I got the introduction through um, family that just grew up on the beach and then formalizing it with structured programming, like the junior lifeguard program that led right into surfing. And I never looked back. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, being from the Midwest, of course, I have questions about surfing. I I shared with you one surfing experience I had, and I'm kind of addicted, but have not been able to have the chance to get back on a board, but it'll happen. It'll happen. Maybe together one day. Yes. And you're welcome always. If you're in South Orange (laughs) County, doors always open. Oh, I would love that. So let's, let's go, let's go back to that. So basically when you started surfing was probably how you started learning how to function as an athlete. So tell me about your upbringing at home from, you know, I know you have some siblings. I know you had parents that were super encouraging for you, but guide me on that journey of you, you know, first starting to surf, but then all of a sudden finding softball, playing softball at the highest level and then coaching at it. And then kind of just lead us to where you are now. Well, I'll give you the brief version or somewhat (laughs) brief because, you know, when you're as old as I am, you have a longer story. But I think what's really important to identify in my developing years is how I was brought up in a community. I have a brother that's 11 months older. So I am that typical sibling that learned very early how to compete because I had a brother that basically said, you know, keep up or get out. And there's a toughness that you develop. And my brother is responsible for that competitive fire that I developed at a young age. But you have to remember back in the day, girls weren't allowed to play formalized programs. So I just tagged along with my brother and coach John Springman was the San Clemente Little League coach. And he told me that I could be the official shagger. And I can remember you know, I was young, right? Like, I don't know, 10, 11. I remember running home saying, I'm the official shagger on the optimist. 
And ironically, the team was called the San Clemente Optimist, right? How, how mm. ironic, right? And I used to shag balls every day in the outfield. And then at the end of practice, Coach John Springman would always say, Susie gets to have her rounds of hitting. And he's the first person that told me outside my family that I had a special skill. And so when you're very young, and especially for our parents out there, to understand the power of your words when you're assessing and talking about somebody's physical ability, how it stains the brains of those young children, whether they're your own children or they're somebody else's children. And that really sparked an interest in organized diamond sports. And so I ended up just being the official shagger every year until we were able to get me involved in a softball program up in Mission Viejo that lent me to preparing myself for high school softball. But then, you know, I grew up actually in a time when Title IX was enacted. So in the middle of my high school experience, I was able to play girls softball and boys baseball. Baseball was always my first love. So I was able to compete on the boys JV. I tried out for varsity. I wasn't good enough and, and played JV and had the time of my life because JV and varsity played together. My brother, my brother played varsity and I was an outfielder and I had the time of my life, got to play every single day with my brother. And that got me the exposure to UCLA because it was quite controversial. So playing boys baseball is what got me to UCLA to get the first scholarship. And we were a hovering just above club status. We had no uniforms. We were the men's track team practice t-shirts as game uniforms. And so people think that now they always think UCLA was always, you know, a national champion. But when I got to UCLA, we were virtually bad news bears. And we had coach Bob Chafee is the one that identified me and brought me in. But it's Sharon Backus who built the blueprint as we know it, that we all have copied. Um, And she basically built this foundation around who we are is always going to be more important than what we do. The fact that we don't have uniforms doesn't matter. We're going to work harder than everybody else. And we're going to be able to do the fundamental things. She was just a hornet around the fundamentals of the game. And so those influences carried over into me when I became, I was an assistant, then I became a co-head coach. And then I became a head coach. So 27 years coaching at UCLA, but the template of what Sharon built sustained each decade to this day. Even when my assistant, Kelly Inouye Perez, took over, there are just core tenets of the program that are unwavering, that are timeless. And so even though we're in a time now, to our parents and student athletes listening, we're in a time of great change, there's a lot of things that are still unchangeable. And that is, if you're a leader, how you frame your mindset and choose to pick resilience over, oh, poor me, and you choose to pick hope and optimism over cynicism and negativity, that prepares your words to be ones that land on the youth in a positive way that you can give great hope during this time of great change. And especially at a time in their life where you're going to imprint on them and they'll talk about it for the rest of their life. And so I just had a great influencers around me. And when I became the sole head coach, I 
developed a really deep relationship with Coach Wooden and Mm -hmm. was able to use and access his insight and use our friendship as a way to even improve myself because it wasn't until the last third of my head coaching career that I really felt like I connected everything and could have pure joy in coaching because early in my coaching career, it was so about, I loved, I loved winning. And so that's really my trajectory. It really comes down to a few things, making sure that you're in the environments where people catch you doing it right every day, sustaining those friendships in your inner circle that can challenge you to be bigger and better than you were yesterday and hold you accountable. But most importantly, hanging on to who you are and where you came from and the people that helped you get there. So you have that fresh gratitude each and every day. I think those are the, are the cornerstones, which has allowed me to this day to love this game and to love youth sport as much as I do. Nobody loves this game more than you, Sue. Oh it's God. pretty clear. I, I do. I, lo- I, I would love to. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's dorky. I, the, you know, the sport, the sport itself gave me so much, right? Like, let's just be real, real, right? I was the girl that read from the special books in elementary school. I was told by my high school counselor, I didn't have the aptitude to make it at UCLA. He told my parents that I didn't have the aptitude to make it at UCLA. I had good grades. I was an average test taker. And then to be able to graduate with honors, once again, the, the, the core pillars, I was surrounded by people that taught me that I was capable of doing it. I was just going to have to work a little bit harder, come early, stay late. And that same template laid into my academics as well. So I think for me, I always want people to know the person because people think, oh, look at her life. My God, she's just done all these great things. Yes, extraordinary things. I, I own that. But I am an ordinary. I was an ordinary girl that was able to do extraordinary things because I had parents that had this great balance of discipline and inspiration. And I had coaches and influencers that did the same thing. And that's the secret sauce for the parents out there today. Uh, Your daughter doesn't need another friend. Your daughter doesn't need, um, you know, a cop hitting you over, hitting them over the head either. It's a a fine balance of standards and your micro behaviors every day and being the one that can see the light when it gets real dark and to provide emotionally safe conditions on game day. And I know we'll probably get into that. (laughs) You are nailing every single topic I've planned to talk about today. So where do we start? Well, I guess let's start here. Being a Boilermaker and knowing that John Wooden played at Purdue University, how we share this interest and fascination in just John Wooden, who I never met, but he truly, by going to Purdue University, has influenced me to become a better version of me without ever meeting the man. And you, I mean, we can call, I'm going to say you're probably best friends with you were probably best friends with him because every, you know, trial that maybe came across, he may have been the first person you talked to. So I am just, I'm doing this selfishly for me going to ask you, (laughs) what are some of just the core things that John did better than everybody else that just made you 
a better version of you by even just being a part of it or just listening to, to how he coached and how he lived his life. Well, I want to share with you, our general public can read all the books and you can <laughs> delve into the pyramid yes. of success, which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize there's two things about the pyramid of success. It's the 15 character behaviors that will help contribute to you gaining personal success and ultimately peace of mind. Because we know that if you can get very close to attaining peace of mind each and every day, you're living a masterful life. And those things are very public. But I want to share with you personally how he changed me as a coach. One of the things that he helped me with more than anything was to go from being in the movie. If sport, softball is a movie, I was a character in the movie. I was (laughs) living those wins and losses. And he taught me to learn to watch the movie and to be measured and be steady. And he leveled me out by simply saying, you will reach a true love for the game when you can love the game on your worst day and your best day. And that stopped me in my tracks because at that point... (laughs) I did not like the game on our worst day. When Mm. we went back to back to back losses, I could grind down my molars on Sunday night. Like I wouldn't sleep for three days. I remember losing. I remember we lost the World Series and we weren't supposed to. We were favored and we lose the World Series. I didn't unpack until, I'll never forget this, July 2nd. I remember saying, I've got to open up that suitcase because, Sue, it's 4th of July and you need your independence. You need, to, <laughs> you need to break away from what's happening. And Papa taught me how to go up a level emotionally and get better perspective. And so I worked really hard at that and was able to become more of a servant to the game and... Being able to do that, I know my student athletes benefited. And so Mm. the the number one thing was to love the game unconditionally, you must love it on your best day and your worst day. And Sue, right now, you are conditionally loving the game. You only love it when you're mercy ruling people, you know, 12 to 1, right? And that was a game changer for me, really was. The other one was... When I would always talk to Papa about the pyramid of success, I'm like, Papa, it's kind of a lot. (laughs) Like, I want to simplify it. He goes, oh, you want to simplify it? I go, what if I said to you, you only get to pick three character skills? He says, oh, that's easy. I would pick the two cornerstones, which I started the pyramid, and that would be industriousness and enthusiasm. And so for me, that was effort and attitude that those were my words. Because one of the things that Papa always wanted people to know was these words, there are other synonyms Mm -hmm. that may fit your vernacular better. And Papa always wanted people to know that the model behind the pyramid, why words were placed where they were. And so he gave me great freedom to own 
the things that are in my vernacular and utilize them on a day-to-day -day basis, whether you're being a speaker or a best friend or somebody that's coaching. And then the last one was competitive greatness, which is the apex of the pyramid. Um, and he defines competitive greatness as being your best when your best is needed. For me, I always remind myself, Sue, your best is needed every day. You've got to give 100% of what you have every day. And so I really tweak that with my, my student athletes to say, I really want these two hours every single day to be the best two hours of your day. As a coach, if that's not the first thing we say every single day when we look at our practice plan, did I set this up to be their best two hours? And sometimes we forget that. Earlier in my career, oh, heck no, I wasn't saying that. I was like, ooh, two and a half hours. That means we're going to get 1,275 swings each. Perfect. We're going to, like, I was all about the X's and O's. And so when the administrator would come up and say, hey, Sue, we need academics to come in. We only need 15 minutes of your practice. I'm like, 15 minutes? I'm going to lose 245 swings each. I can't do that, right? So that's one of the things that he taught me was that the pyramid can be your North Star, but you can simplify it but be dedicated to it. So for me, the cornerstones of, 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 for me, I say effort and attitude. And then competitive greatness is this idea that personal excellence is a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's not a game from six to eight o'clock at night. It's Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 24 seven. And so if we can teach our student athletes to play big. And when I say play big, that means always understanding that who you are is always going to be more important than what you do. And how do I make myself bigger than any one event? Well, I have to have uber clarity on my values and how I execute those values every day. That gives me perspective to understand this is a two-hour period where there are 91 pitch battles. And that's really how we broke things down at UCLI, micro behaviors, micro goals. So no one moment is bigger than the other. Because when you start to define, I was never one that was big on, hey, you know, this is a big moment. Because the game doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. Game doesn't know it's bottom of the seven. You're the one that puts a label on it. And I find when you are trying to be motivated or trying to get things done based on the value of them, you will become very average because the game itself every day isn't rainbows and unicorns. So if you're only going to be motivated in big moments, oh, coach, I'm a, I'm a game day player, you know, give me a shot. Well, that's a bummer because I'm a Monday through Friday coach. So I'm making decisions and I'm, I'm going to try to influence you and lead you Monday through Friday because on game day is your day. That's your game. And it's a great segue, you know, actually to, to segue into the parent because we as a sport, me, the college community, the travel ball community, the park and rec programs, we're falling short in placing a higher value on teaching parents to be better parents of performing children. And so I'm as you know, and that's what we'll be talking about, is I'm really passionate about that. 
Hey, podcast listeners, just checking in to ask you if you knew that ABT had our own online store. We just launched it a couple weeks ago and man, oh man, has it been fun fulfilling orders. Some people have been buying bracelets with empowering messages on them. Our new comfy long sleeve tee that says on the back, you're not like everyone else and we're not here to fit a mold and so many other things from hats to other tees and scrunchies and things that'll just help you feel empowered when you wear them. So if you're interested in wearing some of our swag, go to the show notes and click on the link to go check out our online store. I'm so excited to fill your next order. Yeah. So, so tell me what the Parents of Performing Children camp would be like to help parents figure this out before they throw their kid in their first rec ball season or even travel ball or all the XYZs that, that are to come. Well, first, first of all, a disclaimer, right? It's not, well, I, I always, after I do an interview, I always get like some, a little bit of hate mail. Because people will say, you've got a lot of nerve telling me how to parent my child. And disclaimer, everyone, I'm not telling you how to parent your child. I'm telling you how to be a great sport parent. It has nothing to do with your child right now. It has to do with you. It has to do with yeah. your driving on the day of the game, you parking the car in the parking lot, you walking to the bleachers, you going to the concession stand. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your child. And I get sad And this really is my mission in my chapter two of my life, now that I'm a retired coach, is to place a greater importance on being a parent of a performing child. So this conversation could be about your daughter that plays shortstop or your son that is a spelling bee champion or your son that is a violinist. If you are a parent of a performing child, you need to take this role on just like you take the role of deciphering car insurance, life insurance, health insurance, you all look at that and you read those 40 pages, you read the fine print because you know your family, your most prized asset, your children are at stake. But what happens? Monday through Friday, you're breaking it down, you're discerning it, you're smart, you're insightful, high standards, protective, you're the gatekeeper. But then on Saturday, you turn your brain off and you hand your kid over to somebody that has no certification on how to teach long-term athletic development. They have no certification on the mechanics and the physics of technical skill. And they have no philosophy standard around their job up until being a teenager is to make that kid raise their hand at the end of the season and say, can I sign up for next year? So none of those are standards. And our parents turn their brain off on Saturday and hand their kid over and then they can't understand that the average family child gets out of sport under five years because it's not fun. And so my goal would be, what if we create an environment where parents are like, hey, we're going to be dropping Susie off at San Clemente Park and Rec. She's going to play eight and under softball. I got to make sure that I go through the parents of performing children, happy manifesto, whatever we want to call it, but understand the most important thing you can do 
is to give those two hours to that kid. The most important thing you can do, I always say on game day, I, like people always say, just so you, you have so much information, you're like <laughs> drinking out of a fire hose. So I apologize for that. <laughs> but if we could just talk about game day, if you're a parent out there of a daughter or a son, I don't care. If I could convince you and stain your brain that game day is like watching a movie. So you wake up, it's Saturday morning, it's 7 a.m., you got to get to the park by 7.30. If you and your husband can just say, okay, we're going to the movie right now, get in the car, put your hands on 10 and 2, we know this when we're driving, and just love the silence. Don't break down how she's feeling, if she's excited, if she wants to put her, 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 you know, her, her earbuds in, let her and start your parent of performing children's standards. And if they want to talk about it, maybe you've got a chitty chatty. Let her talk. Let him talk. Then you're going to unpack the car. I'm going to give you some insight. College coaches have actively started evaluating you as a parent. The minute you get out of the car, we're watching how you talk to your kids. We're watching how you unpack the equipment. And most importantly, we're looking to see if you're carrying her equipment. I had a mom say, oh, my daughter, you know, she's 12 and she's a catcher and she has this bat. Mom, she's going to carry it 100 yards. Teach her how to do hard stuff. Yeah, it's her stuff. It's her stuff. <laughs> and then when you get to the stadium, you get to the stadium and you're a parent that gets kind of caught up in the noise, then park your beach chair down the right field or left field line and stay out of the noise, stay out of the bleacher babble and yeah. be the person that just sits and let, lets them watch. I want to share with you one softball, our, our online community, free community. We did a, a questionnaire and we asked the student athletes, what would your best parent behavior be like if you were a player? And you know what they said? They didn't even say positive reinforcement. They said silence. I wish the parents would just be quiet. And we even did an event last year called Silent Sunday. And uh, it was super successful where youth teams, the first inning of every ball game, it was silent. Coaches didn't talk. Parents didn't talk. Just the kids got to talk and cheer for one another. And one mom emailed me. I'll never forget this. She says... Thank you for imparting this idea on our league. I realized I was so busy yelling with my own loud mouth. I'd never heard the cheering that they share within the dugout or on the ballpark. Uh, on the wow. field. So that was super powerful. So set standards in the bleachers as a parent. Don't get caught up in the noise. We don't need you to be telling the umpire what to do. We don't need you to be yelling mechanical instruction from row one. Parents, it doesn't work from both a physiological, psychological, and then experiential for your daughter. She doesn't want to be hearing you keep your elbow up when she steps into the box. And so mom and dad, remember, she has 23 sixtieths of a second to get it done in the box. She doesn't have time to be processing that noise coming from you. And what's fascinating, half the time, the mechanical instructions are wrong. So that's like a double whammy for your daughter. So if we could think about game day, you are going to the park, just think about watching a movie because similarly to going to a movie, how do we enter the, 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 the movie theater? First of all, we turn our cell phone off. 
I'm going to ask you to do that because girls are, they've got eyes on the back of their head. They know when you're crotch texting. They know when Mm -hmm. you're paying attention and not paying attention. So we turn our cell phone off. Then we enter the stadium kind of quiet. We enter the theater kind of quiet because we're sensitive to our people around us. Be sensitive to the people around you. If someone's being a knucklehead, you don't need to dip into that noise. Don't contribute to that noise. It magnifies it. And then enjoy the movie. Go high and low like we do on a movie. But you don't ever jump up out of your seat and start yelling at the screen in the movie theater. I'm going to ask you to stop doing that when we're watching softball. I mean, many of these umpires, let's face it, people, they got full-time jobs. They're making negative $12 an hour. Like, can you Mm -hmm. cut everybody some slack? Because at the end of the day, that puts additional pressure on your child. Remember, your child has to explain your stupid behavior to their teammates in the dugout. Like people aren't telling parents this, but I'm going to be the one to give the bad news. Your loud mouth, your daughter's in the dugout going, dude, sorry, that's like my dad. Yeah, he's kind of into it. She's 12 having to explain a 41-year-old behavior. We can do better. That's the bottom line. I know these (laughs) parents can just do better. Think about the movie on game day. Give the game back to the kids. It's only two hours. And then when the game's over, get her in the car. They only want to know two things. Are we going to Starbucks or are we going to Chick-fil-A? Just ask two questions. It really usually always has to do with food. She doesn't want to break down the third inning when the count was one and two and she swung at the rise ball over her head. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I think, so this is so funny that you say this because I always pride myself on the fact that my parents, they did so many great things, but they also didn't do all of these things that you're saying as well. So I think it's very... I think necessary right now for me to kind of go into my favorite things that my dad did. And he did one of the things that you said in a game, he didn't want to get caught up with the noise and the bleachers. He stood out in right field all by himself. Didn't say a word. I didn't even know where he was. I tried on the field, not even knowing where he was. Cause as an athlete, I was a pe- I was trying to please my dad a lot. And I realized that did not work out in my favor until we opened up about it and he goes, do not play for me, play for yourself. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. But that was one of the best things my dad did was he distanced himself, even from my mom. Like my mom was a little bit of the yapper. She was the one like saying the things. Most often it was, you can do this or just, you know, encouraging things. But still I could hear my mom from a mile away, but my dad, he'd go hide. And I loved it. I loved it. I could go do my thing. But the one thing that you know, made me scared after a game is if I didn't perform well, I was going to hear about it right away. And I think, so long story short, my dad played college basketball. There are many more errors you can make in a basketball game than a softball game. There's just more opportunities to screw up on offense or defense. But after basketball games, I know my dad and I would sit in the car for almost an hour. And it was that. It was this is something you did wrong. This is a pass you made that was bad. This was a shot that you shouldn't have taken. And, and you know, I know my dad meant well. I, my dad is my hero. My dad was always somebody I looked up to as a kid. But just that anxiety that I would get of, oh, I didn't play well today. When do you think dad's going to bring it up? You know? And what I think I would have preferred as an athlete, it would have been that exact question. Starbucks or Chick-fil-A? Because here you go, you get food in my belly. I'm not hangry anymore. I've actually had time to process my performance 
And then honestly, I may be the one going up to dad saying, hey, dad, do you think I should have done that in this situation? Do you think I could have done better if I did this? And I think the conversation would have been so much better if I would have led the conversation. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not saying my eight-year-old self is going to be bold enough to say, dad, I screwed up. (laughs) But I think that would have been something that I would have appreciated a lot more as an athlete. And we're not putting, um, yeah, well said, and thank you for that honesty. The other national conversation that needs to be shared is what is the job of a parent and a coach when she's in six, eight, and 10 and under? It's not really to win the race of technical development. It's to catch them doing it right in terms of having fun. Because if you can create the conditions as a parent for that athlete to build their own relationship with the game, they then will be able to sustain that when the game is hard. If they're playing the game for parents or for coaches and those people let them down, they'll have a tendency to get out of the sport prematurely. And that happens. You know, we know almost 70, 70% of the girls leave by the time they're a teenager because we've, the adults, we've sucked the life out of them. And we need to shift this, 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 and it's hurting softball. People are in love with the idea of what's happening at the top. Our college game is thriving and we can get super into softball every four years with the Olympics. But on the bottom, at the entry level, the numbers, we're leading youth sport decline. A lot of people don't know. Wow. We're leading, I didn't know that. We're leading the decline. And wow. why is that? Well, we first have to realize the pure structure of the game doesn't lend to a lot of activity on defense. So you have two people playing catch and everybody else watches for two hours. So we better make that fun in between. And so I think for me, what we're trying to do is help parents understand the power of their words and their actions on game day. And every other day is to just be a resource that they can reach out to. And then if they're under 12, you are in charge of keeping them in the game by keeping the game light, keeping it fun, letting it be an escape more than ever these kids need to escape because of COVID. Yeah, and there's no better way to gain confidence than, you know, doing something right and 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 being, you know, appreciated by someone who saw it, you yeah. know? It's like when, when you, let's say, I, I talk technically about hitting a lot, but let's say you hit, you keep your hands inside the ball and you allow yourself to just extend that barrel beautifully and it just soars to the outfield beautifully. And when you can just have, hear someone in the background say, wow, that was amazing. You're all of a sudden standing taller and like, oh, I'm gonna try to do that again. Yeah. And, and then you try to do it again. You try to get that feeling again. And that's the best thing that I hear parents that I work with now with youth athletes is, you know, the best thing you can say is, wow, that was great. And, you know, being silent on the ones that weren't great are gonna help your athlete actually be able to figure it out on her own and not feel like, wow, I just disappointed dad. Yep. And because also, I get that all the time. Yeah. And also parents need to understand that to recognize the behavior that creates the execution is the most powerful language because you can have positive language around, uh, wow, that was impressive today watching you hustle to your position today. It's amazing how you can beat you're a right fielder and you can beat the second baseman to their position. Like, good job. Wow, that's amazing. I saw you taking care of our catcher after she struck out twice. Like, intangibles 
that are important behaviors that drive great execution over time. That's something else that our parents can be more aware of is those little micro behaviors that they're executing that are intangible. Yeah. There's nothing better than being an outfielder and, you know, backing up a play and getting praise for it because nobody, you're, you're the one nobody sees. Right. But when dad after the game is like, Hey, way to back that play up, way to back that play. I know there wasn't an actual ball to you, but you were ready. Like those are, again, encouraging the micro behaviors that, cause you know, you've won enough national titles to know you don't win national titles from just home runs. You win national titles by making those little things, standards and habits that just the best teams do. Yeah. And so thing when people talk about that real quick, sorry to jump on your words. No, you're people not. always talk about the big stuff. You know, we got to have good pitching. We got to be able to go yard. But what's interesting is I have a tendency to talk more about when we didn't win because we didn't do the little things that cost us the championship. And sometimes it's equally important to talk about the things not to do that will highlight the things to do. And when you have parents that can teach their children to own their own effort and own their own attitude, that gives them great self-power. Confidence is a tricky word for me, Ashley. I try to stay away from confidence because confidence, society, we've placed such an important value on confidence when in in the progression of developing and competing, confidence actually isn't a major player in the conversation Monday through Friday. Confidence actually gets its attention when we're describing how we felt. Mm. So you never like think about you know you played at the highest level. You're, you're, it's the bottom of the seventh, and you're sitting there, and you're stepping in the box, and you're like, "Yeah, bring it." You're not going. Oh, let me check. How am I feeling today? Am I feeling confident? I think I'm feeling confident. Is actually a word to describe an execution, and I'm more interested in people putting a high value in understanding their inventory, mm. a hyper sensitivity and awareness to all the work they put in Monday through Friday that they put in those investments. So when they get to those game days, the value of the game society is going to increase. But what our student athletes are saying, I've I've earned this moment to execute this fundamental. So in Oklahoma city, all we're doing there is playing catch. That's all we're doing in Oklahoma city. The pitchers playing catch with the catcher. The infielders are playing catch with each other. The outfielders are playing catch with the infielders. The batters are trying to catch the ball with their barrel. And so to be able to be hyper vigilant Monday through Friday to understand being on time to practice every single day is connected to your ability to focus in the bottom of the seventh inning in Oklahoma City. Mm. And when you have a team one through 20, that knows their value is so high, those micro behaviors matter, that's when a team plays to its potential. And so if you're coaching, if you're a parent, society is going to force you as a coach parent to focus on nine people. But if you want people to come back every year and continue to play and you want to reach your potential, 
you will build your practices and create the conditions that player number 20 is equally, will feel equally valued. Are, are they the same value? I'm like the person that says this. I'm real, real. Is everybody the same value? The answer is no. No, people, let's own it. Can we just own it? Oh, everybody. I treated everybody the same. Of course, you're going to treat everybody with equity, but you cannot tell me every player is of equal value. You can't say that. Now, having said that, how can you say that when one person on the team is actually holding the ball a hundred times? So you can't, but what is your manifesto? What you will fight for is to be able to convince every single day how important that backup right fielder is, how important that third out of the dugout pinch runner is in how you set up your practices, how you put pressure on every single person, because you know what? Number three out of the dugout, most likely we will only need you once in Oklahoma City. But I will guarantee you, it will be one of the most important moments. So what you do in October, even though we've set the lineup and you know you're third out of the dugout as a pinch runner, you better be coming early and staying late. And so when you have every player that reads that and assesses that and you have parents that say, hey, you may be the backup, backup catcher, you must train so hard Monday through Friday. Don't worry about who picks the lineup. You can't control that. Control the controllables. We hear everybody say that. I find people, most coaches, most parents, most everybody that's in the sports world, they know all the right things to say, but they don't know how to hold people accountable and they don't know how to create the conditions where everybody knows, hey, don't do this because everybody's going to end up being punished because that does matter. So if you come to the field and you're not running through sprint number 13 and you're third out of the dugout, everyone's going to have a consequence. So how do I relate that to a, a, a sport parent is being able to say, what am I doing every single day for those players that live in the dugout that don't get to be out on the field every day? I better be able to create the conditions at practice through fun drills and letting them be coached for a day and let them coach the bases and give people an opportunity to have a role where they say, hey, gosh, I matter. They're paying attention to me. Oh my gosh, don't you just love Sue Inquist, I feel like I could talk to her for days and I already can't wait until the time I get to surf with that woman. She is so knowledgeable in so many ways, which is why I'm just amped for you to be able to tune into the next episode. So this was only half of the conversation. The next half is going to be aired on the podcast next week. Do me a huge favor and please share this with your softball tribe, your athletes, other parents of your athletes, you know, their teammates, their coaches, whoever you believe needs to hear this message, please share it with them. You can truly change the game of softball and beyond if you do so. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm so excited to see you next week. Same time, same place.